Oh, it is such an honor to be with the church at the mill today. Your pastor DJ brags on you all the time. And I got to see you host at our annual meeting. I got to get a little taste of it. When I walked in the door today, they had me an iced caramel macchiato that I was actually joking about, but that is my, my drink of choice. And they had, I mean, it was perfect. And, uh, and then two middle schoolers, soon to be high schoolers, um, Ada Lee and Aiden met me there with a nice gift. And, um, and, and then I got whisked away into a time of worship here that's incredible. Wow, what, what an honor to be uh, with you today. Your, your pastor is a good friend of mine, and uh, he brags on you. He also brags on the number of deer that he shoots. And I just want to go ahead and call that out now while he's not here. Maybe that's something that you guys need to work with him on. We're constantly developing pastors, but it makes me a little jealous because he's constantly showing me the turkey and the deer. And, and I know it's because of your land. <laughs> like he's coming and hunting on your place and he's pulling all this out. And, uh, and, and so I have to, you know, but he's, he's real subtle about it. Um, he posted on the World Wide Web on Facebook for the world to see. And, um, and I get to make comments like, well, look at my, my four point I, I killed today. <laughs> anyway, um, Church of the Mill, you have done incredible work. Um, I am one of your missionaries. I help lead a team of missionaries around our state that you help fund. And, um, and we have 2,100 church plants over the last 200 years in South Carolina. Uh, every one of our churches started um, within the last couple of hundred years or so. Um, and uh, of those 2,100 churches, you are consistently in the top 10. Uh, you are a leader among our state. Uh, you help other churches. Uh, your staff is incredible. I brought my team up here about two months ago to spend time with your staff. And um, just an incredible atmosphere um, that not only they created for us, but obviously has bled out into the congregation here. And so since 2004, um, I believe Pastor DJ came here around 2004. Since 2004, you have sacrificially and voluntarily given over $1.5 million to leave this place and send church planters around our nation to send missionaries to take the gospel to unreached people groups around the world. And, um, and every one of our, um, uh, many, many of our college campuses have BCM directors, missionaries on them. Um, thank you. Thank you for your investment in the kingdom. Not just building a kingdom here, but your investment in the kingdom. Um, I, I checked this number uh, actually today. Since 2004, you have baptized 954 people. That's incredible. That means you're 46 away, 46 away from hitting 1,000 just since 2004. Wow. Who's going to be the 46th one? I love the um, Hell Has Lost Another One song. 
And maybe you get to be part of their testimony, part of their story. And, uh, and so I'm encouraged to be here today. Let's pray. Father, we come before you. We look forward to hearing from your word today. Will you just challenge us? Would you infect us with your word in such a way that we be changed? Let us just relax for a moment. Because over the next few minutes, you may want to make us a little more tense. That you might want to convict hearts. That you may want us to move. And that we can be at peace right now. Knowing that you are in control. If we take the courage to move. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. We've been through a year, haven't we? In February of 2020... Um, the uh, Diamond Princess set sail in East Asia for um, uh, one to two week vacations, and they all uh, waved to their family on, on board that ship. And little did they know that there was an 80-year-old man who was infected with what they were calling the coronavirus. As news of the mainland outbreak was reaching peak levels, it became apparent that the cruise liner was in desperate need of porting as one by one people began to be infected. Now the cruise line industry all of a sudden went into a tailspin and, um, and it was interesting in East Asia to watch what happened because port after port rejected them to be able to come in for safety. You see, the news had broke that this, this virus was infecting people. There was no stop to it. And so no city really wanted to be one that would harbor anyone who was infected. And so they were rejected one by one as they sailed along the coastline trying to port with, with nearly 600 people that became infected. And while on that cruise liner, two of them would die. Could it be that the church operates like port cities? Desiring not to be infected by those people with their values, that they attempt to keep them out to sea, away from their children, off of their campuses, out of their lives. That is, of course, unless they clean themselves up, button up, and show up. But could it be that the church is more interested in living predictable, comfortable, stress-free lives? It's time to roll up our sleeves, get a little dirt on your hands, rise to help the lost and hurting people because you have a vaccine for an infection of sin that has a 100% death rate. And so if you want to live a predictable, comfortable, stress-free life, stay seated. Don't follow Jesus. But if you rise and follow Jesus, he deserves for you to be obedient, resilient, and courageous. Take it from our forefathers in Acts chapter 5. Turn with me if you have your word. Because as we see our forefathers, these disciples, out the gate, things weren't comfortable, stress-free kind of living. In Acts chapter 5, in verse 17, up to this point, we've seen the Holy Spirit invade a, a bunch of renegade followers. We, we saw them scared to death at the cross. 
They went into hiding for a while. Then all of a sudden, something changed. What changed was this vision of the resurrection. What changed was seeing someone who was hanging on a cross three days later coming out of a tomb. What changed was the, the power of the Holy Spirit indwelling those believers. And so we see over the next few chapters of Acts as it begins to tell this story of the church, we begin to see these disciples more and more bold, being scolded by the religious leaders, Peter and John having to meet before them, threatening them. We see believers sharing their possessions. We see people even trying to pretend out the gate. Relax, I'm not talking about you. I'm just talking about the people that didn't show up today. We see these pretenders who come in and right out the gate, God said, I'm not going to have any way with that. Both of them fell dead in front of those who were following Jesus. And then we get to Acts chapter 5, verse 17. Then the high priest and all of his associates who were members of the party of the Sadducees were filled with jealousy. So they arrested the apostles and they put them in the public jail. Listen, if you're going to rise... As the church, you're going to have to be willing to be obedient in a world of opposition. Obedient in a world of opposition. This high priest was not only a religious leader, he was also a um, civic leader as well. Kind of buttered up to the Roman officials as, as this whole sect of the Sadducees, which was almost like a couple of sects within Judaism. Uh, we don't have that anymore. Um, but... <clears throat> anyway, a couple of parties here. There was the Sadducees and the Pharisees, and the Sadducees actually were a little bit more fundamental. They didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead. There was no hope there. They, they also believed in uh, strict observance of the law. But uh, in addition to that, they, if there was any veering of that, um, they wanted you to be put to death. And so they come filled with jealousy because this movement's happening. It's getting out of control, and they can't control things. You see, in the midst of all of this, whenever this happens, they're arrested, and I want you to know that you will face opposition if you're following Jesus. In fact, if you're not facing opposition right now, you're probably not doing things that God is urging you and calling you to do. And when you face opposition, you've got to remember who your real enemy is and remember that he's already been defeated. Because the opposition is going to get stronger and stronger and stronger. And when that opposition happens, you have a choice to make. Will you be obedient? In fact, in John chapter 14, 15, Jesus said, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Obedience. You are about to face, in fact, some of the most extreme opposition that you probably ever faced in America, this free country. You'll find in your lifetime that sin will become more and more normalized. The more normal sin is, the more abnormal obedience to Jesus will be. And so we see now for the first time in American history, there are more people who do not go to any religious organization. In fact, the fastest growing religious group in the world today is travel baseball. I'm kidding, relax. It doesn't matter. They're not here anyway. They're at a game. But I was at... I'm totally kidding. My kids play baseball. Just relax, relax. But I would like to see how that team that I stayed in the hotel last night, I'd like to see how they do today. Because about 2 o'clock last night, I think they were going over some game planning. 
No, the fastest growing religious group in the world today, in America, are the nuns. Non-affiliated with any religious group. In fact, it's increased 20, it's 20% higher just in the last decade. This fastest growing group says, we, it's not non-denominational. We don't believe in any religious stuff. It's basically practicing atheism. Now, why is this important? Because in a democracy, the majority wins. When the majority of Americans do not believe the truths of the Bible have not been transformed by the Holy Spirit, they will elect leaders that think the same way they do. And the only hope for America is a multiplying movement of obedient disciples of Jesus, not politics. The church is the only hope for America that you would begin to infect those around you with this hope of the gospel. And we're losing ground on lostness in South Carolina. In the last two decades, when we were quoting those stats before, in the last two decades, a million people have moved into South Carolina. You know, because they bought your houses. They're crowding you out of your space. Those people aren't just coming from Columbia, where I'm from, to get up to the hills near God's country, up here near Clemson. All right, just checked out half of you right there. I'm sorry. Apologize again. No, those people are coming from different states bringing different worldviews in, but also bringing a lack of the gospel in. You know how I know? Because we've actually reduced the number that are going to church now in South Carolina. In fact, three out of every four people were not engaged in a church today, in any Christian church, not just Baptist churches. We're losing ground on lostness. But during the night, verse 19, as these apostles are thrown into prison, the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. It says an angel comes and says, Go stand in the temple courts and tell the people all about this new life. Now, this is crazy because I'm thinking, like, you're breaking me out of prison I got to escape, right? I got to get out. Like, you're breaking me out of prison so that I can be comfortable. No, no, I'm breaking you out of prison so that you can go back to the temple courts and preach about Jesus. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts as they had been told, and they began to teach the people. Why is it then in a world where you would be killed for your faith, you couldn't keep the apostles quiet, but in a world of freedom, we remain silent? The most quoted verse of the believers may be the Great Commission. Go and make disciples of all nations. But the most obeyed verse is probably what Jesus told the leper. Be sure that you don't tell anyone. So when you're obedient, the world takes notice, especially those who are in control. And the rulers of this dark world won't like it. So when the high priest and the associates arrive at the jail, they called together for the Sanhedrin, the full assembly of the elders in the Israel, and they sent to the jail for the apostles. I guess if they had gone to the temple courts first, (laughs) they'd have found them. But instead, they went to the prison. Anyway, they realized that they had escaped from the jail, although it was securely shut in in the next three or four verses. 
Then in verse 25, someone comes out and says, Look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts teaching the people. And at that, the captain went with his officers and brought the apostles. They did not use force because they feared that the people would stone them. I guess my question in being obedient in a world of opposition is what does God want you to do that you're putting off? What does he want you to do that if you were obedient right now, you might face major opposition? And then in verse 27, we see these apostles are resilient in a world of resistance. These apostles, even when they had hardship that was placed on them, are resilient. They overcome oppression in a world of resistance. The apostles are brought in. They're made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in his name. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. And Peter and the apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. Wow, what if the church began to say that? In their workplaces, in their homes, on the ball fields. We must obey God rather than human beings. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, it doesn't say they were pricked to their hearts. Remember back in Acts chapter 2, when, the, when those who were listening in on the gospel, when they heard this, they were pricked to their hearts. They were convicted and they repented. Instead, when they heard this, they were furious and they wanted them put to death. In the face of resistance, they were resilient. The enemy builds a wall of resistance. It's attempting to reprogram even this next generation. In fact, you could take this pandemic we've been through over the past year, and your children, middle schoolers, high schoolers, could have been reprogrammed in just a year. They could have been reprogrammed to live a life of anxiety now. They could have been reprogrammed to, to not prepare because you never know if something's going to get canceled. They could have been reprogrammed um, just to... Go along with whatever somebody tells you to do with the status quo, with no resistance. Or they could reprogram and they could live a life of urgency, realizing that death is real. They could be solidified and programmed if they're following Jesus to be prepared, even when they don't know if something's going to happen, that they're ready to give an answer for the gospel, not apathetic. And they could serve their way into real change instead of just settling for the status quo. Listen, don't cower to the threats of the enemy. Be resilient through the face of persecution. But I need to warn you, resilience will cost you. It'll cost you. The next few verses, they call a meeting. Sounded like a lot like a church meeting. They get together and they, they start talking about things being out of control. Kind of like when lost teenagers start acting like lost teenagers at student gatherings. What are we going to do about it? I was serving at a church. Lost kids were throwing cans all over the lawn. And uh, we were having these big events where we were sharing the gospel. And praise God, there were some older people within the church that got together, didn't call a meeting and say, we got to stop this. They called a meeting and said, 
How can we get a team together to pick up the cans? How can we help as these kids are hearing the gospel? But in this meeting, a Pharisee named Gamaliel speaks up. He tells them to lead the disciples alone. He says, for if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. I just wonder if some of the things that we're doing within our churches is from God or just some man-made stuff that we're just putting together to try to keep our, I don't know, our appetites tantalized. I wonder if the early church, like if the Holy Spirit stopped working, 95% of what they were doing would have stopped. But in the American church today, I wonder if the Holy Spirit left the building, if 95% of what they were doing would just keep on going as business as usual. Resilience will cost you, but disobedience will cost you more. So my question, I guess, for you is, who have you given up on? Maybe you've had some times of resistance. Maybe you've shared the gospel with people that, that they might be even a family member that you've given up on. When this resistance has come, who, who, who and what have you given up on? Or are you resilient in continuing to love, continuing to serve for years? My challenge is just don't give up. Keep moving. Keep moving. Because when you think about your early disciple fathers, they kept going even in adversity, even in resistance, and they had courage. You see, the last thing is that you have to be courageous in a world of caution. You have to step out. It doesn't take too much courage in Spartanburg to get up this morning and drive here and sit in this worship service. It doesn't take too much courage. I appreciate you doing it, but quite honestly, it's the least driven time in the, in the state in a given week is Sunday mornings. I know because I travel around. It doesn't take much courage on the road. Just pretty, traffic's pretty light. But it does take courage Monday through Saturday to go into a world that's looking totally opposite from what the Scripture is teaching. You see, Gamaliel's speech persuades them. They call the apostles in, and they have them flogged. Now, now you know what happens when they flog people, right? You saw it happen to your Savior. They beat them with rods. In some instances, they would whip them, and they witnessed Jesus, their, their Savior, doing, having this done to them, they're flogged, and so they need to think to themselves, the next step is crucifixion. We, we, we need to, like, 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 we need to calm down a little bit. We need to be a little bit more cautious in how we share this gospel so that we can keep moving down the road. But instead, we see something totally different happen. You see, we've seen through this pandemic, we, we made this term in an abundance of caution in normal vernacular. Although I would love to believe that the abundance of caution we have endured the last year was out of a heart for others and our neighbors, and it probably was for some of you, the reality is that for most Americans, this caution was more for themselves than it was for others. I, honestly, I don't understand like, how we've made it in our lives. If you're over 40 years old, not from the pandemic, just, just how we've made it through childhood, because because I don't know about you, my mom never made me wear a bike helmet. <laughs> never. 
I don't know if she didn't like me. Um, she let me lick the spoon, knowing full well there was raw eggs in the cake batter. You know what I'm talking about? My dad made me drink water from a hose instead of a bottle. And when I left the yard to go play all day, I never had a cell phone. You rode in the back of a pickup truck regularly. You drank soda after your friends. And I bet you took the dare and you ate the worm when your friend gave it to you. And I'm not even going to call out those who rip the tag when it clearly says on the mattress to leave it on there. <laughs> but somehow we made it. Today we live in this world of an abundance of caution. Maybe we just grew up in a different world where viewing continuous news coverage of horrific events was, was uncommon. Or maybe not scrolling the social media feed where we see one out of a million cases and all of a sudden it's shared a a million times, and so we get uptight about whatever it is that they're sharing. Rarely do kids venture out of our sight. We're compelled to hover over them to protect them from the evil one. Evil has a way of invoking fear, but the church should be on the offensive, not the defensive. They must be courageous, not cautious. Never before in the history of humanity has the tolerance for risk been so incredibly low. I mean, this isn't the first plague the world's ever faced. When everyone fled to safety, the early church risked their lives through service. In fact, in those early years, one of, the, one of the early church fathers wrote, Heedless of danger, they took charge of the sick, attending to their every need, ministering to them in Christ, and with them departed this life. In fact, the last pagan emperor of Rome, he wasn't even a Jesus follower, Julian the Apostate, he stated, It is a scandal that... The Christian Galileans care not only for their own poor, but for ours as well, while those who belong to us look in vain for the help that we should render them. The world noticed Christians taking risk. They noticed the Christians taking courage. My fear is that some churches were more interested over this pandemic and how to get their worship services going online and how to get online giving than they were about the people that were dying from this virus the people that were being infected from this virus and sick and scared and fearful. What will they write about us? This is our moment as a church to saturate every life with the hope of the gospel and to put our faith into action, to trust more on a Savior than we do on science. But the church is the one that's got to lead out with that kind of hope. Protect yourself and your children from living an ordinary life. The leading cause for college students not going to the mission field is parents. In an effort to protect, we paralyze. Protect them from playing it safe, striving for comfort. Urge them to do courageous things. We can rise to the call of service or we can shrink to the sound of silence. It's our choice. So I guess my question to you is, what scares you to death that God wants you to do? What's something that you know you're supposed to be doing, but it scares you to death? And so that courage, you want that courage, but you just can't muster it up. Maybe for some of you, it's, it's going public with your faith. Maybe it's going public in the waters of baptism. And you're thinking, man, I'm a grown man. I, I, I can't do that. That's, that's something for kids to do. No, it's not. Man, lead your family. 
Let them see that you're serious about your faith, that you want to go public with that. Or maybe it's a career move or a career change. Maybe it's the mission field. Or maybe it's just that one neighbor that lives across the street from you that you haven't talked to about Jesus in 10 years. Be courageous. He tells Joshua, haven't I commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And so in verse 41, we see this courage. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. And day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. Listen, those original disciples, those 12, there was one left, right, Judas He hung himself, there's 11 left. Of the 11, 10 of them all died a martyr's death, proclaiming the resurrection all the way to the end of their life. They were courage in the face of caution. This is vacation season, and a few years ago, my family and I, we we took the best vacation you can ever take. In fact, we took a cruise We took a Disney cruise. It was the best vacation you could ever take because it was the one where you invite your parents to go and they pay for it. (laughs) Praise God. I was sweating it all the way up to the counter. Dad slipped his credit card and I was like, praise Jesus. (laughs) We had two little boys there and and, uh, as we go on the boat, it it was evident from the very beginning that they were waiting on us to be there. They were welcoming us to be there. When we walk on that ship, it was all about us. They said, well, ladies and gentlemen, the clamps. It was like, oh, man, the, the Mickey, Mouse, Mickey Mouse knows who we are. I mean, we walk on the boat. I mean, it's like they, they herd you straight to the all-you-can-eat buffet. You know what I mean? And we're eating out there, and then they move you out to the, to the pool area where they got this, this ice cream that flowed the whole day long. And we're just having a black. We sit down. When we sit down, we get the program out. Just to start seeing what's, you know, what do we have offered for the kids. And uh, we start looking to see, you know, okay, well, what, what time's the, the speaker or the comedian? And he was that night. And so we were like, okay, well, what are we going to have for dinner? And so we, we kind of map out our plan. And, and um, it, it's, it's crazy, though, on a, on a cruise ship. You walk around and, and, and everybody's catering to you. Can I get you something? Can I, can I offer something? And then on like the day two or three, we, we actually start critiquing things. We're like, ah, I don't know if that comedian was all I was cracked up to be last night. What would you think? Eh, I like the one the, the week before, the day before. And then we started looking. Well, I just wish they had some more things for the kids to do, right? Or just get them out of our hair just for the whole day. Like the whole vacation. Just take the kids. <laughs> because a cruise ship's all about me. And it was crazy. Like, I came, we came back home, and then, like, maybe a couple of weeks later, we go to the USS Yorktown in Charleston. You ever been there? Raise your hand if you've been there. A little bit different boat. <laughs> in fact, we get on the ship, and my boys look at me and say, well, where's the swimming pool? I said, they ain't got a swimming pool on this ship. They said, well, where do people stay? I said, they stay right there. There's, like, 47 bunks in there. I know it. There wasn't room for 50. And when we start walking around the boat, it's obvious that it's all about the mission. 
It's obvious that, that, that these guys and, and, and women who were on this ship, what, whatever they were up to, they were all working together. It wasn't about them. It was about the mission. And, and we noticed up on the top deck these, these, these planes and these helicopters that would get launched off of there and, and go on mission somewhere and then return just to refuel and then go again. And then all of these people that were grounded on the ship were kind of working to try to get those planes and those helicopters off because if the planes were stationary, they weren't winning the war. You see, because an aircraft carrier, there's, there's a mission involved. There's a war that's happening. It's not all about me. Listen, I'm afraid that some view the church as a cruise ship where pastors and staff and volunteers are seen as crew members to make sure your needs are met. You'll know this because you hear things like, I'm not getting fed there anymore. There's not enough for my kids to do there. Why can't they just take them off for the week? You, you know you're in a cruise ship mindset when you start thinking about what you're getting instead of what you're giving. But the church was never intended to be a cruise ship. It was intended to be an aircraft carrier. One where the planes are being sent off, where the people are actually leaving this place and doing ministry only to come back here and refuel and be encouraged. God intends for the church to be more like the aircraft carrier where a border pass, a boarding pass is a ticket to come and die. Where everyone is working together, where people are being sent out from ship as missionaries. A cruise ship's all about me, an aircraft carrier is all about the mission. We are in the battle for the souls of mankind. This is no Mickey Mouse cruise. We are in serious family business and it's going to take leaders who are ready for the fight, who will be courageous enough to step out in faith, and who will rise up as the church. So be obedient in a world of opposition. Be resilient in a world of resistance. Be courageous in a world of caution. And guess what? Maybe, maybe, just maybe, we will change the world. What is it that God is urging you to do? Father, we come before you in a time of response and worship. And Father, I just ask that That, that you might just begin to speak in that still small voice of yours that you would begin to stir and move that if there's someone here today that knows that you're urging them to do something that they might not be disobedient any longer. And as we worship, let us put that flag in the sand today. And whatever it is that we don't leave this campus without making some response to you or someone close to us that you're going to move. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.